This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we chat with Juan Mojica and Mike Scanlon about the latest in security at NetApp. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. In the studio with me today, from his long travels to the island of, uh, what is it, Lord of the Rings. Australia and New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, the islands. I'm trying to think of, did you see Sauron? Uh, no, I did take a tour of the Wita workshop, though. Did you? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Wita is a pretty cool little place that they do all that interesting Lord of the Rings, and I think they did Avatar, didn't they? Or no, that's Digital Domain. Never mind. So, yeah, they have many, many movies to their credit. They do. So, um, yes, yeah. first time in this time zone in uh, almost a month, so happy, happy to be back. How's the jet lag? It hurts. It hurts? It hurts. Good. Glad to hear that. <laughs> Glad you're suffering. <laughs> it pleases me. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, so um, elephant in the room. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way now because we haven't talked about this yet. But you may have noticed Glenn Sizemore is not here. Um, he has left us and gone to VMware. So if you want to hear Glenn Sizemore's beautiful voice, you can hear him occasionally on the Virtually Speaking podcast with Pete Fletcher. Yes, yes. Two former Tech on Tap podcast co-hosts now over there at yeah, VMware. over right. there at VMware doing their VMware thing. So uh, best of luck to them. Um, and we will continue as as. We, we do. Here. Yes, we so. will. And guess what? I don't have any travel on my calendar. For the first time in 18 months, my Concur app is empty. So how long is this going to last? Um, I, I hope a, a little while. Yeah? Yeah. So I might actually be on the podcast. It won't just be the Justin show. Nice. To which I apologize to all the listeners for leaving Justin, leaving, leaving you to I Justin. apologize to so. them as well because it is much less interesting with me doing it. So thanks for joining us again, Andrew, and making this more uh, well-rounded. Yes, yeah, so I like to think of us as each other's foil. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Something like that. All right, enough of that. So um, in the studio with us today, we have two security experts, um, and I'll let them introduce themselves and what they do. Let's start first with Juan Mojica. Hi, Juan. What do you do here at NetApp? And tell us about yourself and how to reach you on social media. So I am Juan Mojica. I am the senior product manager in charge of ONTAP security, so for AFF and FAS and virtualized platforms. I'm responsible for security. I am on Twitter at Juan underscore M underscore Mojica. And I also have a blog, uh, securitybrutesquad.blogspot.com. All right. And also in the studio with us today, Mike Scanlon. Hi. Thanks. I'm Mike Scanlon, Security Assurance Program Manager here at NetApp on the ProtOps security team handling all of the high assurance uh, security certifications related to our product portfolio. So security assurance, do you, are you responsible for the uh, bulletins that go out or is that another team? That would be another team. So within security assurance, we're focused on the CIA triad for those folks that aren't familiar with it, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So wherever we have a barrier to entry in markets based on a particular security certification regulation, compliance standard, et cetera. That's where we work with the individual product teams to make sure we're up to snuff and we can gain access to those markets. Okay. 
So on the podcast, we have started a tradition of a security update every quarter because security is ever-changing and things get hairy, and we have to cover that and make sure that NetApp is on top of it as well. So this quarter, we're going to talk about some uh, new updates, uh, what's new here at NetApp with security, as well as what the sort of things have happened in the news. So um, Juan or Mike, do you have anything interesting that you want to talk about newsworthy in the security realm? Oh, certainly. Well, first of all, I'd like to consider myself a podcast veteran at this point. I, I, you know, you're like the Alec, you're like the Alec Baldwin of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Just br- keep bringing me on. Now, uh, and so um, anecdotally, we've had you know a lot of uh, good feedback from our customers, in particular, uh, as far as ransomware is concerned. In, ransomware, in and of itself, is not good news. But um, had a colleague tell me. He was in a meeting with one of our customers. All of a sudden, they they stopped the meeting because they just had a ransomware attack. And everybody stops and starts figuring out what they're going to try to do. And then somebody in the room just says, hey, why don't you just revert back to your last snapshot? And everybody paused. They did that. And lo and behold, ransomware gone. So they were like just freaking out, and like nobody thought to revert back to the last snapshot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, so it's as simple as that, really. It's just hey, you have this great capability naturally occurring in ONTAP, and just use it, turn it, and revert back, and all of a sudden that infected file you know, is gone. And I think this is where you know if you're concerned about the number of snapshots you're keeping, uh, in particular with your AFF systems, your flash systems, this is where Fabric Pool really can also provide some some benefit from the security side, right? Like now you can keep more around and still have your active data in, in the optimal tier, and then you have all these backups for uh, for such cases where you need them. Was the guy who like originally recommended they turn off snapshots in the corner kind of you know sleeking out of the room like uh, uh, uh? Yeah, that's what I understood. Nobody really wanted to listen to that guy, and they said, "Wait a minute, there's a better way." Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, good. Um, what about uh, news? Like, sort what sort of news have we heard in the uh, forefront of any breaches? I mean, I can't recall any major things happening in the last couple months, um, but I know there have been a few. What sort of things have you heard about out there in the wild? You know, I, I, this is Mike, and and I believe you know we've got um, Andre Middleton, our security TME, who who deals with this on a recurring basis. Uh, but uh, ransomware is you know upfront and and real to to many uh, um, organizations out there. It's a a major concern, and so you know what Andre's done, and I, I think with a number of his briefings at Insight has educated folks on how NetApp partners with. Uh, third parties like Veronis to uh, both avoid and address if remediation is required uh, the the concerns related to ransomware viruses. So, if you could uh, maybe go into a little bit of detail about how Veronis ties in and how they help protect against ransomware, just as, at a high level. So, uh, what rans- what Veronis does with us is is to be able to detect particular uh, signature patterns in, in, in files that uh, they know have um, suspected malware associated with them. And in conjunction with some of our other uh, snapshot technologies, that's where really ONTAP is strong. As Juan mentioned, uh, you know, the, our, our strength is the ability to remediate if that situation occurs. Okay, so you have Verona's for the initial entry protection because ONTAP really can't prevent you from bringing in ransomware. Correct. And then you have uh, the snapshot functionality to help if in case it gets in, if it, you know, in case you don't have Veronas in place or Veronas can't stop it. Exactly. 
Now, we've covered this in other podcasts, but we also have encryption things. And encryption can't help you with ransomware either because all you get is encrypted ransomware. <laughs> right. <laughs> Comes in and it gets encrypted, great. Now, now it's encrypted. But um, it doesn't stop ransomware from coming in. But there is a value with encryption. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that uh, and what we have with NetApp ONTAP. So with NetApp ONTAP, we have in-flight and at-rest encryption. And just recently, uh, for our software-based data at-rest encryption solution, NVE, we had the cryptographic module uh, validated through the FIPS 140-2 program. And with that, we also had the added benefit of uh, our onboard key manager also receiving uh, compliance through the use of that same cryptographic module. So we've made some great leaps and bounds uh, within the last, uh, it's basically an early Christmas present, I think, to us that we were able to get uh, the validation completed uh, within the calendar year. So, Mike, can you describe what the difference between the 140-1 and 140-2 specifications are? Sure. So, so um, you know, just to be upfront, the 140-2 is the standard itself. It's the second version of the standard, and that's what the dash two refers to. And within the standard, there are four security levels. Uh, what the standard itself um, is is subject to in terms of misinterpretation is it really has the vestiges of a very dated standard that's been around since the 2001 timeframe. So as a result, back in the 2001 era, many cryptographic modules were hardware-based. Technologies evolved in many ways since then. And so when we introduce a cryptographic module like the ONTAP kernel module, CryptoMod, we have these questions from our uh, partners, vendors, customers that say, what you know, why did you go security level one versus security level two with your validation? And what it boils down to is, as, as Juan mentioned, a crypto mod is a software-based cryptographic module. So the, the security level two standards are associated with a hardware module in which you can implement tamper-evident mechanisms. You can also implement opacity uh, mechanisms to protect and um, obscure the cryptographic module deployed within a particular hardware boundary. In reality, the cryptographic algorithms at all levels are the same. So what we benefit, really, the true benefit of FIPS 140-2 is the due diligence associated with the process of validating the cryptography. We have cryptographic validated algorithms that have been vetted by industry for decades and approved for use by the cryptographic algorithm validation program, as well as um, taking the module through the the full cryptographic module validation process in which we have a lab validating our, um, our algorithms, our integration of the module into our product. So there is a lot of assurance. And, and, and the truth be told, what every, everyone needs to know is that regardless of security level, for example, AES-256, the Advanced um, Encryption Standard, which is a, a key to CryptoMod capabilities, whether it's in a security level one module or if it's a security level four module, it's the same cryptographic strength. And that's what folks need to know. They need to take away that 
they are getting a module that has undergone extreme due diligence and validation. So just to be clear, so FIPS 140-1 was the original 140 standard. Correct. It has been superseded by FIPS 140-2, and inside of that standard, there are four security levels. Correct. Okay, so with ONTAP, what we're talking about here is we have level one as well as level two, but there's changes or different requirements inside of each of those for ONTAP. Right, so each with a different level, each level builds on top of the other one. So level one is, like Mike said, really targeted towards software-based and really the algorithms that you're using. And like Mike said, this is an old standard, so everything else above it really is more tailored towards hardware. So level two then adds not only what the requirements of level one are, but then like Mike said, the ability to have some like breakaway screws or some uh, glue that sticks on there that you can't take away through normal means and basically tamper evidence really there. And with level uh, with level two, you also get these uh, not being able to see the component that's actually doing the encryption. With level three, you actually get tamper resistance to the point where if somebody tries to open something, it might destroy the the uh, contents within that module. And lastly, level four, everybody wears tinfoil hats and walks around very, very extra paranoid. I actually haven't seen too many level four stuff. So, and which each one of those levels, you get an extra. Uh, you get extra cost added to it. It becomes more expensive to do. You have your boundaries become tighter uh, as far as for the hardware pieces that have to do this and that and the other. So it becomes more complicated. But like Mike said, really the value at all those levels is that those algorithms that are actually doing the encryption are all are, are all validated and all you know standardized basically. So I, I want to jump back to the very beginning of this particular conversation when you said that ONTAP has both in-flight and at-rest encryption. So does this apply to one or the other or both or? Both. So we have, well, in particular, the last validation effort that we did for our crypto mod, which is our kernel module that's doing both NVE and OKM, that was particularly for at rest. But we also have in-flight uh, encryption uh, that is also FIPS validated through our NetApp NCSM. Uh, NetApp crypto cryptographic security module, which is focused on, it is a um, customized version of the OpenSSL FIPS object module. So any of the management channel um, communications that our product teams have decided, made the decision to implement uh, FIPS encryption, the NCSM provides that protection for those management channels. So can, can we double-click, so to speak, can we zoom in on this for a moment? Because in-flight encryption is something that's always been interesting to me, right? Is this in-flight encryption that's being done on the client side, or is this as NetApp is, excuse me, as ONTAP is transferring data maybe from system to system for SnapMirror, for example? So the encryption that we're doing, the encryption that's particularly validated, is for the management uh, portions, like Mike said, and that's the algorithms that ONTAP is using as it's sending it out to the client. In theory, the client has also the same algorithms in order to be able to process the data correctly, but the client in and of itself would need to go through whatever cryptographic module they're using, would need to go through the same validation for it to be FIPS validated. This goes back to the point that Mike made and I kind of highlighted is that when you go through this FIPS process, you have to define a security boundary. And the security boundary really means, okay, what algorithms are you using and what physical components are you using? And when you go through that 
certification or that validation is that the other portion of that is if anything changes within that security boundary, your previous uh, certification or validation is no longer applicable and you have to go through the process yet again. And so most people and most companies just really just pick out the algorithms or just that one component or a very limited set of components in order to make sure that they don't have to change it because it does add cost, it does add complexity to the process of doing business. Uh, and so that's why when when you're doing FIPS, uh, really in flight, you're really validating one endpoint and the other endpoint really needs to also go through its own validation process as well. I only encrypt with DES. Single DES only. <laughs> Not a good choice these days. <laughs> <laughs> so who does this apply to? Is this really around government or anybody who has like a PCI DSS or SOX or... So mainly for government, it also provides that extra assurance. I know we have a lot of customers that actually request the FIPS validation as well as looking, like Mike said, that we've gone through the due diligence. Mainly FIPS, I mean, FIPS is a government standard, so it's mainly based for the government. But we do see the requirements trickle down to other customers as well, whether or not they actually need it. For PCI DSS, or you're talking uh, GDPR, or you're talking any of these other compliance, they've not gone to the stretch of mandating a particular validation effort for the encryption, just that you actually are doing the encryption portion. And those, of course, also have larger pieces of compliance that are uh, outside of the scope of just security. Security isn't compliance, and compliance isn't security, and that's one of the main points I also tried to drive home at Insight, then there is a distinction and uh, you have one, you might not have the other and vice versa. So you mentioned GDPR, which is is kind of a hot topic these days. Uh, we're down to what, six months, I think, before compliance is mandatory. So is there anything that we can talk about at this point in time? Is Do we have a story to tell around GDPR and how we can help our customers achieve that? Sure. I think we have a robust set of encryption capabilities to provide the encryption portion of the securing the data. We have data protection available within the product as well to be able to replicate and have sure uh, things like SnapLock uh, in particular. You need to maintain, once you establish a retention policy, you need to make sure that you're adhering to it and SnapLock will let you do that. We also have uh, incredibly robust uh, role-based access controls. We just added uh, multi-factor authentication, so the administration of the box also then is secure, and then you can also then assign roles to individuals and have that every which way possible to limit the exposure there. And then lastly, we have extremely uh, capable audit logging um, within the system as well. So for any of the actions that the administrator takes, you'll have that traceability back to to you know whoever did it and you can ship that off you know to syslog or whatever really when it comes when it comes to gdpr and basically when it comes to any of these compliance standards it's i think basically these four tenants that you really need to look at and it's more about establishing a process and so there's due diligence that the customer needs to do really on the on their part and say hey i'm going to work to understand where my data is coming from, where it's going to, and some of our uh, SNAP tools, I think, can uh, help you understand that, help you, especially even in system manager. I think it tells you which volumes aren't protected. And so you kind of have this visibility into, hey, okay, where's this data going? What am I doing with it? Well, how am I protecting it when it's being sent or what's sitting on, on board? And then what mechanisms I'm putting in place to regulate access to it? 
And that could be for shares or even, like I said, for the administrator and tying all these things together. It's really a more comprehensive program. And certainly we provide all the pieces that you need to be compliant with any one of these standards. But ultimately, we're going to do everything that we can to help the customer achieve it. But the customer is ultimately the one that needs to make sure that they go through the process. Yeah, that makes sense because there's a lot more than just the storage system that's involved, right? It's the yeah. entire application stack. Exactly, exactly. Same, yeah, same thing for HIPAA in particular. Sure. It's very similar like that. Uh, one piece I would add, and it applies really to any of our compliance frameworks or, or environments, is education is key. So we talked about education, about understanding the different security levels with FIPS, GDPR, same so we have uh, folks that assume, well, GDPR is EU only. It doesn't, you know, how does it apply to us in the U.S.? When, in fact, a lot of the effort and education that, that our chief privacy officer is focused on is getting folks to understand, well, if, you're, if you have data belonging to an EU citizen in a data center in Florida, then you are liable if there is a data breach. And it really then comes down to, well, how can they extract money from you? So if you are an international or multinational corporation and have any basis in Europe, then you, they have a venue for extracting either 4% of your revenue or $20 million, whichever is Tw- larger. 20 million euros. Or euros, yes, yeah. sorry. Euros, yes. Whichever is larger. And so that's kind of scary. So, yeah, it, it just happens to be holding EU citizen data. I think the proof's going to be in the pudding when some of this thing actually gets fleshed out and maybe the first person is caught with their hand in the cookie jar uh, to see what happens. But I'm sure whoever the first person is is probably going to get the brunt of they're going to make sure that people are abiding by it. They're going to be the example. Exactly. Yeah. So nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to be that example. (laughs) No. So does NetApp have any special distinctions in terms of security? I mean, are we on any sort of like list, good or bad? Yes, we're actually on the Department of Defense in-network, information network approved product list. What exactly is that? And that's a, uh, a huge uh, achievement for, for NetApp. You know, dating back to 2012, we were the first storage provider on, back then it was the UCAPL, Unified Capability Approved Product List. Uh, now as the Doden APL, you know, in essence, only the name has changed. But um, we're now um, on there as uh, one of two storage providers, and uh, it allows us for all Department of Defense services and agencies to sell. It's a procurement requirement for any products, information technology products that are being deployed in the Department of Defense Information Network to be on that list. And, And again, that's a huge... It's a huge undertaking, just like FIPS's or any of these efforts are typically, you know, 12 to 18 month um, hauls. And and so there's, uh, you know, to get to this point in time where we have achieved uh, with ONTAP 9-1, that uh, distinction is, is key to our sales efforts. Any other certifications we've got? Yeah, we just uh, also wrapped up uh, some common criteria certification. Absolutely. So... Um, you know, for those folks that don't understand, the common criteria is actually an ISO standard, um, ISO 15408. The complete uh, name is the common criteria for information technology security framework. NetApp, again, similar to the Doden APL, was the first storage provider 
having validated ONTAP going all the way back to 652R1 back in September 2005, and we've been on that list ever since. Uh, we are currently in the process, uh, the final stages of the testing and validation of ONTAP 91, and we'll have that uh, out here shortly. What about 92 and 93? Do those qualify as well, or we have to go through the same testing standards for that? So, something. Um, Juan touched on earlier, you know, we have to, to make some decisions and, and, and strategy around how we certify ONTAP, which versions we do. And it, it really it makes sense now that we've gone to the uh, long-term support, short-term support ONTAP release strategy is for us to focus on those releases of ONTAP that are going to get the longer support. So we get a, the biggest bang for our buck, um, the the real goal is to focus on those odd number long-term support releases that have security relevant changes in them and, and use those as our security targets for common criteria going forward. Yep. Net net out of all these certifications is that we're going through, we're doing the due diligence, we're doing the hard work. We're not just slapping this thing together and saying, yeah, it's secure. We're actually proving it step-by-step, uh, day-by-day through all these certifications to make sure that our customers, uh, big or small, have that assurance that the ONTAP that you're running has been through all these certifications. So, so I think that's a great segue into kind of the next topic that we wanted to talk about, which is best practices, right? As you said, you guys have been going through all of this, right, making sure that everything is in place, right, working with customers, going through, doing all of these things to ensure, ultimately, compliance. So ha- have we developed, do we have a set of best practices around the different certifications that we can begin sharing with our customers? Around the certifications, not necessarily, because these are certifications we're doing. Once we get the certification, it applies to everybody. So everybody gets the benefit from these. Best practices certainly around the new security technologies that we're rolling out. We have a new TR that our security TME, Dan Tullidge, put together for uh, multi-factor authentication. Um, and we're going to continue to keep developing those uh, as well as securing hardening guides that Dan and uh, Andre were, are both working on as well, uh, jointly together. So that's something that we're going to keep developing, providing that collateral and making it ultimately as easy as possible for you to deploy your system securely without um, much fuss or muss or basically requiring a master's in computer engineering and cryptography to you know, get it out the door. Well, there goes all my college days. <laughs> well, the amount of discrete uh, math that I've done uh, is boring, and I don't want anybody else to go through that either. <laughs> but uh, it, with with uh, with encryption in particular, encryption at rest, really, there's we have two tiers. You have NetApp storage encryption and NetApp volume encryption. And if you're worried about performance, want to get the most performance out of your system. NetApp storage encryption, hands down, will give you better performance than NVE. I can say that without, you know, without any qualms, without any issues. The rub is, is that when uh, NetApp storage encryption is, you know, our premium solution, and NVE comes free, no cost license to do it in software. And because it's software, it does take away from some of the performance of the system. And so, with the previous generation platforms, so the eight thousand, so that really the eighty forty. We saw at most uh, 10 to 15% uh, penalty whenever using it. But really, it was when you were taking the system up to the point 
where you hit that knee of the curve uh, in IOPS and latency. Really, you're stressing the system. And the low end of the system, if you're not using the full capabilities, not using all the IOPS or whatever, it, you, you barely notice a difference. And this is really just in our flash systems, right? And this is something that everybody gets confused. They say, okay, why is it the flash systems show up uh, with the performance penalty and the other systems don't? Well, in the FAS systems, traditional spinning disks, the bottleneck in your system is the disk itself, and so you're waiting for the disk to do stuff, and we're able to cram in more operations. For flash, we're not waiting on the disk anymore, so whatever we do in that processing path, you kind of notice it. And so the previous generation systems, you kind of you kind of notice a little bit of a hiccup. As we get more bigger, better systems, more processors, it's just going to be like an afterthought. It's kind of like watching the original Pixar films, right? Uh, you watch the original story, Toy Story. It's nice. It's pretty. It's smooth. But there's not necessarily the level of detail in the background that you need. But as the processor improvements happen, all the new technology comes into place. Toy Story 3 is light years above. You got hair that's, you know, waving. It's kind of the same thing. The technology's there, and as the hardware now improves and, you know, becomes clearly a commoditized portion of this, we're able to leverage that, and you and our customers are able to get the benefit. So, and just to be clear, right, in SE, NetApp, storage encryption relies on disk-level encryption, right? Each right. disk is an encrypted device using hardware. Yeah. Whereas in VE, NetApp volume encryption relies on essentially software, right? Either right. hardware-assisted through CPU instructions or just raw compute power. Right. So is there any benefit to layering those two on top of each other, having NVE that's being used on top of NSE? Yes. I mean, if you have you have these two solutions together, which you can totally do, you get two layers of encryption, which is ultimately a more secure solution. It's something that we see kind of called out in the commercial solutions for classified uh, documents published by the NSA, in particular in their data at rest capability package. They basically call out, hey, you want to have two layers of encryption because if one of them breaks or one of them gets hacked, you have this fail-safe backup mechanism of doing it. And so it's kind of like your Airbus fly-by-wire planes, right? You have two different implementations that are basically coded with two different teams. In case one of them exhibits an error while the plane's flying, uh, you want the other algorithms to not have anything to do with these algorithms uh, from the validation point so you can actually land the plane safely in case one of those, you know, operation kind of we just don't want to be like that Mars rover where one team was metric and the other was Imperial units. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you end up with a spot of dust on on Mars. So I want to back up a little bit. You, I, I may have misheard you, but you said MVE is free? Yeah. I thought it was licensed and you had to pay for it and that the onboard key manager was free. Have we changed that? No. So the onboard key manager is free. NVE has always been free, but because of uh, import regulations with certain countries. We want to make sure that we don't put our customers in a predicament where they're importing technology that they should not have in a given country. So we require a license for NVE to turn it on, as well as we publish a special image that's NVE capable, and that's the default image name that you get with ONTAP normally. Uh, We've added an extra image on the download site, on the support site, called NODAR, no data at rest encryption uh, image on there. 
But basically, with these two mechanisms, we are doing the utmost that we can to actually protect our customers to make sure that they don't find themselves answering uh, to a government official in a country that should not have encryption as to why they're running a system with encryption. Cool. Did not know it was free. I always thought you had to pay for it. Nope. All right. Cool. Any other best practices that you can think of that would uh, you would recommend for people trying to secure their systems? Encrypt uh, everything. So find your encryption strategy and go from there. It's security is a journey. You're not going to go from zero to marathon today. So you got to take a step. And that's probably the biggest point that I try to make at Insight, that it's going to be a process. And we've provided the building blocks, I think, within ONTAP to make that happen with the onboard key manager and a software way of doing encryption. But ultimately, you need to start thinking about your security strategy long term. So like Verno, Werner from uh, AWS reInvent said, dance like no one's looking, encrypt like everyone is. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the best thing that came out of that conference was that, <laughs> that, that quote. All right. Anything else, guys? Just, and Andrew. <laughs> yeah, this is Mike. Just one piece I would add on from a best practices perspective too is you know for across our product portfolio for teams that are not yet at that point that threshold where they're seeing a big uptake or huge demand to enter into either financial or highly regulated markets the minimum you should do is to develop at least informal security technical implementation guides for your own product so when a customer says what's the most secure configuration for your product, you can hand them at least a document that records that configuration and helps that customer meet their needs. Because they will ask. They will. That is a question that will get asked, yeah. and you're going to be you're gonna need to be ready for it. Because if you're not ready for it and they ask that, they walk away right then because they know that you're not ready for it. Is there anyone who should not be encrypting their data? There's certain countries that, that don't allow it or al- allow it with the encryption algorithms that they have and that they the government can break. Encryption in and of itself, if you have the capability, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, and I, I guess to be clear, right, encrypting the data is not necessarily, particularly when we're talking about NSE, right, or even NVE, right, it, it happening at the storage device is not necessarily a protection against a, a, a hacker or something like that, right? It's a protection against somebody walking out of the building with your hard drives tucked under their arm or something like that. Exactly. And with our newer systems, these things are like 40, 40, maybe 50 pounds. They weigh as much as my two-year-old. Two-year-old's a mini Godzilla uh, and destroys everything. But I can throw them over my shoulder and walk out the door. In theory, you could do the same thing with these new systems. So you know, the threat is there. Uh, obviously, if you have armed guards and uh, people with guns and all flashing lights uh, when somebody does anything, yeah, maybe that threat isn't as big. But if you don't have that and you have maybe a storage admin with uh, or a couple storage admins and one of them has a pickup truck and you don't have cameras everywhere and you don't know what happened, that stuff kind of can disappear kind of easily. Yeah, I mean, there's several levels of protection and security. It's the entry points and the actual at-rest encryption and the in-flight encryption. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to consider. So, we're trying to make that journey easier by providing things on, on in ONTAP to do that for you. Yeah. 
One of the things I just remembered, I completely forgot, the cryptographic module that got FIPS validated is also actually used by ONTAP Cloud. And it's an encryption that we provide through ONTAP. So the FIPS claims, the only FIPS claims that I've ever seen for AWS is that they do make a FIPS claim, but it's for in particular their their management interfaces, their SSL, uh, open SSL interfaces. So I believe we're bringing native FIPS validated encryption into ONTAP Cloud. Uh, well, I know we're bringing it into ONTAP Cloud, but in particular into AWS. How do you walk away with a cloud? Uh, that's a great question. But why do <laughs> then why do people want their data encrypted at rest in clouds? Tell me why. Why would they want that in, in, in the cloud? Well, uh, the cloud is somebody else's computer. It is. <laughs> so it's still sitting somewhere. And in particular, even for, I think, for service providers, this is concern uh, if you're a client of, you know, one of these clouds is that somebody can, or somebody, the government, could potentially subpoena the equipment. And what happens when they subpoena the equipment? Well, they're going to start looking to see what you have. Well, if those documents then also become public knowledge, then your data potentially becomes public public knowledge. And do you want your personal information or your client's information or your proprietary data on one of these things without it being encrypted? Um, probably not. And so what you want to do is encrypt it and then make sure that the keys are somewhere else. So even if they were to subpoena the equipment, they get the equipment, fine. Well, the data is all encrypted and they have no access, no remediation as far as being able to actually extract value from it. And then they have to specifically request your – so if you did something wrong, you, you bet your bippy they're going to come after your keys. But if you're anybody else on that box, you're good to go. Yeah, and uh, that also includes ONTAP Select because ONTAP is ONTAP is ONTAP. Correct. Uh, ONTAP Select now also has FIPS-validated data at rest encryption. So there you go. Thank you to Mike Scanlon and Juan Mojica for joining us today. Again, Juan, if people want to reach you on social media, how do they do that? Hit me up on Twitter, Juan underscore M underscore Mojica, and all those J's are, all those huz are J's, like in Spanish. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And Mike Scanlon, can we find you anywhere on social media? Not really. See, <laughs> this this is how you know who the real security guy is, because Andre does this too. No social media. They're like incognito, under the flying under the radar. So. You're you're a fraud. You're a fraud. I'm a fraud. (laughs) You're a fraud. Thank you. You know, I I appreciate that. No problem. Anytime. We just like to call it how it is here. That allows us to point directly to Juan for all security-related questions. (laughs) Somebody has to take get punched in the face repeatedly. It's going to be me. (laughs) Every every time I talk to Justin, from a scale from one to Ramstein, I go full Duhas because he always tends to. That's make me angry. I do, I do. I like to punch one in the face repeatedly. He can take a punch. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techcontactpodcast.com. If you'd like to show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Mike Scanlon and Juan Mojica for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Why do you talk so fast at the end? That's like the Micro Machines guy. Remember that guy? I do. Micro Machines, Micro Machines. Oh, yeah. Or lawyer speak at the end of a commercial. It is. I, well, I mean, I want to put it into the, into the time frame because we, you know, time is money. I feel like I should be racing a little pallet and saying, I bid, I bid. You bid? Yeah, you should. Absolutely. <laughs> 
to Juan and I took class this week together. You were telling me that story. I was trolling Juan's speech the entire time. It was fantastic. I was asking him about my support cases and stuff. So have you fixed my support case yet? Nope.